This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We're going to have a lot of fun today. A little different show for you on uh, on Daily Delivery today. Not, uh, not going to do an interview today. Instead, I'm going to take a bunch of your questions. Kind of an all-mailbag uh, version of Daily Delivery. Got a bunch of good ones from you guys on Twitter, so I appreciate that. Not even going to do a what did I miss, um, just shaking it up totally. You know, I like my formats. You know, I like my my standard uh, kind of way we do this here. But uh, we're going to just do an entire show of, uh, of questions from you guys and answers from me. We'll get into some of the stuff that's happened recently in the context of that. But uh, let's get started, should we? Um, why not? First question, uh, which is probably the one I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on, comes from Dan Wade wants to know which Minnesota coach's seat is the hottest right now. And uh, by by way of his guessing, he kind of clarified that uh, he considers six coaches in that mix. I think he's considering the pro coaches uh, of the major sports here in this market for that question. So, you know, so for just taking those six, um, let's, let's get to it with those six, and I'm going to rank them in terms of uh, least hot to hottest. And I should probably mention at the outset, my criteria for this, you know, basically, you know, it's not so much who's everybody mad about or who's, you know, who's what, what, what's the, what's the temperature necessarily. It's if I look at this objectively, who could I see potentially being the first of these coaches to lose their job? Um, that, that, that to me defines the hottest hot seat. Who, who among these coaches might lose their job the first? That doesn't give me pleasure to talk about coaches potentially losing their jobs, losing their livelihood. But, you know, this is a business. This is a high stakes in a lot of cases here. So, you know, questions about this are fair game and really are, you know, probably a better way just to assess where all of these franchises and teams are at the moment. So with that said, with that, uh, you know, kind of um, ranking system in place, let's go six through one, the least hot seat to the hottest hot seat. Number six, Cheryl Reeve links. Yeah, I don't think her seat is very hot. Do you guys think so? I know she's been here for a long time, uh, which uh, sometimes can work against a coach. You want to find a fresh voice, but uh, I don't think you're going to look for a fresh voice off of someone who's won four WNBA championships and who kind of seamlessly rebuilt the links um, after those champ after that kind of championship era after that window kind of closed it never closed all the way it just kind of it stayed open like it stayed half open they kept making the playoffs they got all the way to um the the semifinals of the league in the bubble last season and they're looking quite good again this season overcoming an 0-4 start they're now 10-7 and after a win uh against Dallas on uh, on Wednesday night so 0-4 start 10-7 and right now into the Olympic break that tells me that they're 10-3 and in their last 13 games yeah that's a that's championship caliber play once again for the Lynx. Um, you know, Kayla McBride looks like she's an excellent signing, had another big game against Dallas. That was a Reeve move, you know, since she added the GM title to her duties a couple years back. Um, she's made a lot of good draft picks, had back-to-back rookies of the year with Nafisa Collier and Crystal Dangerfield, pushing a lot of the right buttons in free agency and with her personnel moves, pushing a lot of the right buttons with, you know, figuring out how to adapt to different styles on the court while still you know mixing a little bit of the old roster still have Sylvia Fowles who's been great in a lot of cases this season with some of these new players so 
if you're talking about a coach who I think is absolutely safe, you know, at least for the the short to near to medium term, um, it's a it it absolutely is is Cheryl Reeve. I cannot imagine something that would happen, you know, this season, next season, that would cause her to lose her job as head coach. So right there, that is the least hot of the hot seats. Number five, Chris Finch, Timberwolves. You know, this is less about what he has accomplished and more about a couple of key facts that tend to work in a coach's favor. Number one, he's brand new. He came in in the middle of last year, um, but he wasn't an interim coach. He came in in the middle of last year. He's been mentioned, um, this is the second piece of it, he's been mentioned for quite some time as a guy that Gerson Rosas, the Timberwolves president, wants to hire, that he sees as his long-term fit to kind of execute this vision for how he wants to play. So those two things, you know, you look at it and you say that the Timberwolves are kind of in this for the long haul. I think they have aspirations of being, you know, better next season, but I don't think they have you know, aspirations of, hey, we're going to suddenly become a championship team next season. So that also buys a coach a little bit of time. If you understand where you are in your timeline, understand kind of, you know, that this team probably isn't in a hurry to win right now, can grow along with a coach. And, you know, let's face it, he had a certain amount of success relative to his predecessors last year as well. You know, they were 7-24 and 24, uh, when Ryan Saunders was fired. You know, Chris Finch goes 16-20 and 20 in the second half of that season, has a good finish, you know, shows what he can do once he gets a Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell healthy together. So I'd say Chris Finch, definitely not on the hot seat. You know, that can, that can change. You know, coaches can become short-term. It's a fragile sport. You saw Anthony Edwards, you know, had an apparent ankle injury the other day. If they, have, if they sustain any sorts of injuries this season, you know, the year could go downhill in a hurry. But for right now, I see Chris Finch as very, very safe in his job. Okay, number four on this list, Dean Evison, wild head coach. And again, I don't think this means that, you know, because I put two people ahead of him, it doesn't mean I think his seat is even remotely warm right now. I mean, he was one of the three finalists for the Jack Adams Award, which goes to the coach of the year. Didn't win it, but he did get into that mix. Wild had a resurgent season last year. I thought Everson made a lot of good, you know, good coaching decisions, had a lot of, you know, had a lot of good imprints on this team, the way they, you know, the way they, the way they played stylistically, um, the messaging that was sent to the veterans that there's going to be accountability. I think he did a really good job this year as their head coach. The only reason I put him, you know, lower on this list, I guess, or, you know, at, at number four, you know, maybe, at, you know, hotter quote-unquote than Chris Finch is that he did come in as an interim coach and sometimes when a when a coach is hired as an interim uh they, they become a little bit more expendable as time goes on but uh, I think Dean Evison's debut uh with the Wild this year certainly was encouraging and should give us hope for you know what he can show going forward in the future I think you know there's gonna be some key questions he's gonna have to grow with this team you know the expectations next season are gonna be much higher than they were than they were this year going into the season. I think you know nobody's going to be surprised by what Kirill Kaprizov does this year, things like that. But you know, if you're just talking about a good debut, Dean Evison certainly did that this year. So I'm not saying his seat is warm in any way necessarily. I'm just saying I'd put Reeve and Finch ahead of him for certain kind of extraneous reasons. Now we get into some interesting territory. The three at the at the you know at the three two one here could go in different orders depending on how you see it um, other people might see this differently but here is how I have it stacked up number three on the Minnesota coaches hot seat rankings right now Rocco Baldelli twins manager 
Some of you might have him at number one. I think Dan Wade had him at number one in his guessing when he uh, when he submitted his questions, and other people might think the same. Here's why I don't think Rocco Baldelli is number one on this list. One, this is his first bad year out of three. Comes in in 2019. He's manager of the year. The Twins win 101 games, go to the playoffs. Uh, I mean, they, they flame out in the playoffs. That's disappointing, but still. Manager of the year in 2019. 2020 manages through the pandemic they win another al central championship they win 60 percent of their games they're on pace for you know another 97 98 win season in a normal year you know navigating that was not easy especially with the hitting not going the way they wanted it to but they managed to get through that season 36 and 24 win back-to-back al central championships and i know you know some of what happened in that 60 game season we might be tempted to throw out you know statistically i think the pitching you know maybe had a little caught a little break with the with the opposition they were facing things like that but you know bottom line they can only play who they play they won another AL Central title and that was a largely due to Rocco Baldelli's calming influence now come to this season it's a little bit different right there a 35 and 50 after losing what five out of six to Chicago over the last 10 days or so they were certainly going nowhere this year it's been a disaster this year any way you slice it and I think some of his some of Rocco Baldelli's lack of urgency, some of that that served him well in these last two seasons before this, you know, especially when you know 2019 Twins started to fade in July, they didn't panic, they came back, they rallied, they they finished strong. 2020, that season could have gone all sorts of different ways, but when you when you have a steadying steadying manager who's not going to get too high or too low, you can get through a year like that. This year, I feel like they haven't had urgency from the beginning, and I think that's worked against them, and I think that's been some of his influence. I also think you can certainly question some of his usage of the bullpen and some of how his in-game strategy has worked or largely hasn't worked, but I think you got some things that have worked against him there as well. I certainly think he needs a new bench coach, and that's, you know, no, you know, I don't say that to be callous because what the reason he doesn't have a bench coach right now is tragedy. Mike Bell dying shortly before the season started, but that certainly has had an impact and maybe has exposed some of the deficiencies and some of the holes in Rocco Rocco Baldelli's managerial repertoire. So I think if you get into 2022, you've got a much better, you know, plan going forward. You get him the support around him he needs. He could have a bounce back, quote unquote, managerial year. I'd have a hard time imagining he's going to get fired this year, even if it goes even worse the rest of the way because of the success he already had. He's built up a decent amount of equity. Yeah, I know Paul Molitor got fired the year after he won manager of the year 2017, won manager of the year 2018. He was gone at the end of that season. He hadn't built up the same amount of equity as Rocco Baldelli. But, you know, Paul Molitor had a couple of bad seasons, a couple of okay seasons. I don't think his talent was as good as Rocco's had. But uh, I think Rocco Baldelli has built up enough equity to survive a year like this um, so if we're talking about a guy, if, if the rankings go according to in my, in my head, if they go according to who is most likely to get fired, you know, sooner rather than later, I think he, his seat could get hot with a bad year next year, but I think there's people, you know, higher, lower, however you want to look at it on this list who are in more immediate danger than he is of getting fired. Okay. That brings me to number two on this list. Adrian Heath, manager of Minnesota United soccer. Heath's been here since 2017, since the jump, since the since Minnesota United made it to Major League Soccer. So this is his fifth season in the fold. First two years were rough, but that was probably part of the plan. 2019 got better. They made the playoffs, lost right away, went to the uh, MLS bubble, 
down in Florida last year, made it to the final four of that tournament, almost made it to the cup finals, had a 2-0 lead that they couldn't quite hold on to. So you think that builds up a certain amount of equity, and I think it does. But, you know, that said, he's got a certain amount of control over the types of players he wants on this roster. And this year hasn't been going great. They had a slow start. They'd gotten better, but they lost uh, again Wednesday, kind of ended a string of, you know, decent re- decent to good results. But, you know, they're, they're kind of on the fringes of the playoff race right now. They would make it, I think, as the lowest, you know, number seven seed in the West if the playoffs started today. I think there's a there's something to prove with the rest of this year for Adrian Heath. I'm not saying he's in imminent danger. Um, he's not, you know, I think the you know, Heath out hashtag on Twitter uh, that fans like to use. I don't think that's like a, that's going to happen tomorrow. But I, I, you don't have to squint too hard to see, you know, some questions at the end of this season if things don't get, you know, at least reasonably more consistent this season. Now, you know, if if their play over the last five or six weeks is more indicative of how the rest of the year is going to go, then I could see him, you know, being pretty safe, uh, you know, making the playoffs, maybe getting getting another playoff win, something like that. I think that would keep him safe. But if this thing goes the other direction this year, after all the investment they've made in the roster, bringing in, you know, more talented players, bringing in a veteran club that he can work with, I could see that, you know, being a question at the end of this season, but not the hottest seat here in Minnesota sports, uh, not not in terms of the pro coaches at least. The big reveal then is pretty easy, right? Um, there's only one coach left out of the big six uh, major pro sports teams in this market. So I'm going to say Mike Zimmer is uh, the hottest of the hot seats for the Vikings. Now, what works in his favor is I think ownership likes him. You know, The Will family likes Mike Zimmer. They like the credibility he has brought to this organization. They like you know being consistently in the mix, at least at the start of the year, um, you know, that said, those, you know, those, those loyalties can fray. And I think, you know, if, if the criteria I laid out at the start is, you know, who, who essentially is one really, who is one poor season away from me thinking they're in the most danger of losing their job. I think that's Mike Zimmer. You know, this is year eight for him, which in some cases works in a coach's favor. You know, longevity, I think is working in Cheryl Reeves favor right now and puts her at the, you know, at the at the least hot seat part of this this conversation that we talked about earlier because she's got all that equity built up from all, from those four championships last decade and she's rebuilt this team to a point now where you could see it happening again. You know, Mike Zimmer's been up down up down up down. You know, they they've made the playoffs in the odd years, they've missed the playoffs in the even years. Um so and I guess, I guess what I would also say is the highs haven't been as high as you might like them. Two playoff wins in seven years, one of them required a miracle. One of them took overtime, both against the Saints. Um, you know, that's, that's good. They, 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 you know, you start every year and you think this team could be competitive. At the start of every season, you can make the case that the Vikings could make the playoffs. And, you know, various things have gone wrong. The Teddy Bridgewater injury, maybe being at the top of that list and just, you know, how, how that impacted the course of, you know, the course of this franchise and how their quarterback and how their cap situation has played out. But, you know, the ups, like I said, have not been as high as I might like them to be. And if they don't make the playoffs this season, that would be three out of four years where they'd miss the playoffs. And that, to me, would signal, okay, you're starting to kind of, this act is starting to wear thin. The defense starting to get kind of old. Um, is this message really resonating still with the players? 
And at that point, it would not surprise me at all to see a regime change, even as much as I think the Will family likes Mike Zimmer, likes Rick Spielman. You know, something like a 7-10 and 10 season this year. Remember, there's 17 games now. Um, kind of a repeat of last year where, you know, again, last year they kept the bottom from completely falling out after being 1-5, and five, but that was not where they thought they were going to be when the season started. If they have another year like that, I could certainly see a change at the top, and I could see Mike Zimmer's seat getting really hot with just even a marginally slow start to this 2021 season. Dan Wade, I hope that answered your question. Geez, I took like half the show to answer it, but it was a good way to uh, just a good way to assess where each of these teams is. Uh, also, um, to, you know, to think about the coaches and how things are going. So appreciate that question. Let's hop into a few more as we continue on with this all mailbag edition of daily delivery. Mark Jensen has two questions. Number one: Will the Gophers men's basketball team add another big man besides? Eric Curry. I think they've got to. Um, I love the story of Curry basically coming out of, you know, grad assistantship to uh, to 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 throw another body into that mix, some experience, a veteran. Um, but I got to think, you know, when when Marcus Fuller was on the podcast, you know, a week or two ago, he said they were going to keep pursuing, keep pursuing. Now they lost out on uh, Sterling Manley from uh, North Carolina, who they were hoping could come in and make immediate impact. We just reported that uh, that he's going pro instead of coming here. So that's you know that that to strike against this plan. But I still think they're gonna they're gonna find somebody, whether it's in the portal, whether it's a transfer from you know a junior college or something like that. I got to imagine they're gonna add more depth there. So I think they've made that a priority. I know that you know once you get to July, as we're in right now, you're not exactly picking from. The, uh, the the widest field, but I got to imagine they're at least going to add one more big man to that mix. Other question from Mark from Mark Jensen: Any thoughts on who else the Twins can bring up from the minors this year? I'm going to give you two names there that I like. Now again, they've been, they've called up a lot of called up a lot of their uh, their prospects already, and we're seeing you know Trevor Larnick, Alex Kirilov maybe having bigger roles this year. Maybe not Kirilov. We kind of thought of a decent sized role for him this year. Larnick, though, we didn't necessarily think he was going to have this big of an impact. Both those guys becoming basically everyday players as this season has progressed the way it has due to injuries, due to them playing pretty well, and due to, you know, let's get a look at these guys and see what they've got, you know, heading into 2022. So a lot of, you know, even Nick Gordon up, some of their other pitchers, seeing Bailey Ober already. You've seen a lot of, uh, you know, their their blue chip, you know, ready-to-go guys already. But I would say two guys to keep an eye on even as we go forward here pitcher Josh Winder he just got a promotion to St. Paul Triple A's uh, you know be, between Double A AA and Triple A so far this season 4 and 0 with a 2.17 ERA those are all starts 62 innings 75 strikeouts allowing fewer than one walk and hit per inning pitch that's pretty good stat line Probably would like to get a look at him, uh, assuming the innings aren't mounting for him. You know, based you know, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, that missed the 2020 season, they're being extra cautious with them. But I have to imagine that if he keeps pitching the way he does, the Twins might want to get a look at him at some point. You know, especially if they get to the deadline here and they make a move and you know deal away some pitching. There's going to be some rotation slots opening up. Uh, for for some of these guys to 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 jump into from the minors, and I think Josh Winder has become you know next in line uh, as he's become you know healthy and effective this season. The other one is a guy I had a uh, you know did a story on a week or two ago. Had, had quoted him on this podcast, Jose Miranda uh, from from the Saints, a uh, you know hitting prospect. 
Um, had three home runs in his Saints debut, has done fine since then. He's just 23, so he's still pretty young, still kind of figuring it out. But, uh, you know, again, kind of a corner corner infielder, third base, second base can play some of that too. Um, you know, the more versatility he's going to have in the field, the better, because I think he's going to be a pretty good hitter. You know, Toby Gardenhire, the Saints manager, said, you know, I've, I've seen, I've known him since he was 18. He can hit. He's He's been able to hit ever since then. His pitch selection getting a lot better, and that's what you want to see when a guy's going to maybe make a jump all the way up here. So those are the two guys I could see, you know, maybe not getting immediate call-ups, um, but that could, could could be factors more than just, you know, a, a cursory look that they might want to get a longer look at as the year goes along. Next question, Tom wants to know, what is an appropriate punishment for the Minnesota Wild organization if they are able to extend uh, hashtag KK Calder uh, this summer. That obviously means Kirill Kaprizov, as he's, and he starts the 2021-2022 season with Victor Rask as his center. So, okay, so I think the question isn't so much should they get punished for extending him. They better extend him, and I think they will. Uh, the question is how how much should we give them uh, grief if they aren't able to upgrade uh, his you know his playmaking center next to him? And I think that's got to be a priority. I think I think we give. We gave the Wild a little bit of a free pass this last year on their center depth. I think they knew their centers weren't great. I think they got, I don't say lucky, but the the emergence of Joel Erickson Eck was a, a, a good story for them and absolutely necessary. Gave them that piece at center, but I don't think he's the, the perfect center to play with Kaprizov going forward. I think you split those guys up like they did this past season. Um, you know, I, I love that line with Felino and Eck and Greenway more of a rugged line, you know, kind of battle in the corners, control possession, you know, get chances that way. That's not really the, it's not necessarily the center that Kaprizov should be with. He can play with a lot of different guys, but he needs someone with a a certain amount of talent and flash. You saw, you know, when you put someone with good hands like Matt Zuccarello with him, uh, that, that pairing worked well. If you put a center into that mix as well, um, you've got something extra special. So yeah, I think if they go into next season with the same center plan that they had this past season, um, they, they deserve a lot of a lot of criticism because they they need to figure that out. I know good centers don't just grow on trees, but whether it's internally, whether it's externally, that's a that's a problem they need to solve because I don't think you can go into next season with that same alignment, knowing what you know now after a full season of Kirill Kaprizov. Next question from Luke Hanlon, former student of mine, wants to know, what's your personal record for Tacos 8 slash Miles Ran in the same day? And this goes back to, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I, I think Luke was part of either the first or the second class I taught. You know, I've, I've taught this uh, sports journalism, sports media class at the University of Minnesota as an adjunct now for the past five years um, it's weird, you know, I've only, you know, five years isn't forever, but now the years are starting to blend together. So I can't remember. I think Luke was part of that first year though. And so, um, the, what I was doing back then is it was, I think this was 20, must've been the 20, 2017. So like the, you know, the winter, you know, the, the winter semesters, I guess they call it spring semester, even though it's most of it's in the winter and it's you know dark and you're teaching and you're, you're getting up early. Um, it's dark outside when you get to the 8am class, but, uh, I think, that would probably win 2017. So I wasn't training for anything in particular, but I was still, um, still running a lot, which I do I still do now. Um, but you know, as part of an accountability play, um, I think the class was Tuesday, Thursday at that point. So Tuesday was my big taco Tuesday day. Always. Um, you know, you got the dollar tacos, um, at, uh, at taco John's that I like to 
partake in. And uh, so as part of the accountability, I, I told myself I, I, I can have a certain amount of tacos, but um, I have to run that many miles that same day in order to, uh, you know, offset, I guess, the damage done by, by the tacos because, you know, they're not terrible for you, I don't think. Like, you can eat a lot of worse things, but it was more of an accountability thing. It became a thing with the class where I was like, okay, guys, um, I'm, I'm doing it today. I'm going to get tacos, so keep me accountable. Next time you see me, ask me how many miles did I run? Did I did I do the equivalent number? So that's that's the kind of backstory to that. Now, um, some of you might know I ate 15 tacos one day. I think that was that same year, 2017. I think maybe class was over by then, and that was kind of more of a a dare, a whim, uh, would never do that again, wouldn't recommend it. You know, the first, like, 10 of them went down fine, maybe even 12. Last, you know, three were kind of torture, but I did not run that day, certainly didn't run that day. I think the most that I ever had in the same day that I ran, when I had the equivalent miles, was six. Um, And five was kind of the standard number, and four, Four was kind of the okay. I, I I'm, I'm not you know I'm not feeling it today. Whether it's the running or the tacos, I'm going to kind of ease off a little bit. Um, but I do like to keep the number the same just to kind of have that equivalency. But I think six Luke was the most I ever did um, in the same day of of miles and tacos. Um, you know, just to keep myself you know at an equilibrium and keep myself at, at a good place in both of those cases. Now, speaking of tacos, at Russ Nels wants to know, do I like beef tongue tacos? You know, I, I haven't branched out that much lately. I believe I've had that, and I think it was pretty good. Sounds strange, um, but it, it's it's good. You know, you, you got to try different things. You know, I don't. That's not on the Taco John's menu, but of course, I go a lot of different places, not just the chain restaurants for tacos. There's tons of great places to get. You know, the more authentic. Um, authentic tacos here in the Twin Cities, and I've partaken on a lot of those. And I believe at one point I did have the beef tongue taco, but I'm more, I'm more of like the spicy. I kind of like the you know the barbacoa or the uh, the carne asada kind of style, uh, if I'm going to be quite honest. But uh, but yeah, branch out, try all the different tacos um, in this world that this world has to offer because tacos, let's face it, no matter what kind they are, are generally delicious. Last question. Speaking of my uh, my passions, Nicholas wants to know: since you're a rollerblade enthusiast, have you ever considered interviewing Stephen Johns? Now, I got to admit, I had not hear, heard the story of Stephen Johns, former NHL player who is rollerblading across the country as we speak. Nice story in ESPN.com recently. I think that was an Emily Kaplan story that I read the other day after I uh, got this uh, tweet from Nicholas. Basically doing it to raise mental health awareness. He's had some concussion problems, has had some you know real mental health challenges as a result of that. Playing career is over, but you know, to to kind of bring himself into a certain amount of peace, he just kind of, you know, he decided one day, I'm gonna rollerblade across the United States. And I think that's awesome. I've 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 kind of daydreamed about doing something like that, not necessarily rollerblading, but you know, whether it's walking or riding a bike, like just something big like that. Um, you know, maybe not right now uh, with, you know, you know, three little kids in the house and, you know, the, the demands of job and whatnot. But, you know, in, in a retirement kind of setting, I can imagine myself doing something like that, just doing something, you know, I love big, you know, I love big things. I love big unexpected things. And that to me is just, you know, just go do it. Why not? You know, it's, it's a great idea. It's It's a good cause, obviously, for himself to raise awareness. So, I love that story. I'm glad Nicholas brought that to my attention. Um, and maybe 
um, once uh, you know once I'm back into the mix here a little bit uh, a little bit more. Um, you know, after next week, which is going to be kind of a, a series of special podcasts, uh, looking back at some great, uh, great events 30 years ago, maybe I'll try to get Stephen Johns on the show. Cause that would be a, that would be a good follow up to that. And, uh, you know, could, uh, could, could talk to him about blading, which I, I've, uh, I'm, I'm not as much of a blade enthusiast. It's kind of become more of a bit, but, uh, I still do hop out there on the rollerblades every now and then. And I have done a rollerblade marathon before, in addition to the, uh, five running marathons that I have done. That is it for the all mailbag edition of this daily delivery. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll have Paul Clouda, Star Tribune uh, high school sports editor. I had that job before he did. We're going to talk prep sports. We're going to talk about um, you know all Metro Sports Awards coming up. Uh, that'll be on Friday show. And then, like I mentioned, next week, whole bunch of good stuff with uh, with looking back thirty years from now. I've got Brian Bellows talking about the '91 North Stars. Kent Herbeck talking about the 91 World Series. All sorts of fun episodes coming for you next week. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery, and we'll catch you again on Friday.